Mesmer from Famous Impostors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Mesmer by Bram Stoker. Although Frederick Antoine Mesmer made an astonishing discovery, which, having been tested and employed in therapeutics for a century, is accepted as a contribution to science, he is included in the list of impostors, because, however sound his theory was, he used it in the manner or surrounded with the atmosphere of imposture. Indeed, the implement which he used in his practice and which made him famous in fashionable and idle society, was set forth as having magic properties. He belonged to the same period as Cagliostro, having been born but nine years before him, in 1734, in its Mang, Suabia. But the impostor, pure and simple, easily picked up the difference by beginning his life work earlier and following it quicker with regard to results. Mesmer was not, in any sense, a precocious person. He was thirty-two years of age when he took his degree of doctor of medicine at Vienna in 1765. However, he had already chosen his subject, animal magnetism, as allied with medical therapeutics. His early script, under the title De Planetarium Influxi, is looked on as a legal reminiscence of judicial astronomy. He left Vienna because, he said, of a cabal against him, and travelled in Europe, particularly in Switzerland, before he went to Paris to seek his fortune. This was in 1778, when he was some forty-four years of age. His reputation, which had been growing all the time, preceded him. He was then a man of fine appearance, tall and important-looking, and conveying a sense of calm power. He produced much sensation, and was at once credited not without his own will or intention, with magic power. He posed as a benefactor of humanity, a position which was at once conceded to him, partly owing to the fact that an extraordinary atmosphere of calm seemed to surround him, which with his natural air of assurance, founded on self-belief, was able to convey to his patients a sense of hope, which was, of course, very helpful in cases of nervous failure and depression. He settled in the Hotel Boren, near the place Vendôme, and so in the heart of Paris, and at once undertook the treatment of patients, hitherto deemed incurable. Fashion took up the new medical craze or sensation, and he at once became the vogue. It was at this time of his life that Mesmer came to the parting of the ways between earnest science and charlatanism. So far as we know, he still remained earnest in the scientific belief as indeed he was to the end of his days, inasmuch as fashion requires more concrete expression of its fancies, Mesmer soon used the picturesque side of his brain for the services of fashionable success, so he invented an appliance which soon became the talk of the town. This was the famous baquette magique, or magic tub, a sort of covered bath round which his patients were arranged in tiers. To the bath were attached a number of tubes, each of which was held by a patient, who could touch with the end of it any part of his or her body at will. After a while, the patients began to get excited, and many of them 
went into convulsions. Amongst them walked Mesmer, clad in an imposing dress, suggestive of mystery, and carrying a long wand of alleged magic power, often calming those who had already reached the stage of being actually convulsed. His usual method of producing something of the same effect at private seances was by holding the hand of the patient, touching the forehead, and making passes with the open hand, with fingers spread out, and by crossing and uncrossing his arms with great rapidity. A well-attended seance must have been a curious and not altogether pleasant experience, even to a wholesome spectator in full possession of his natural faculties. The whole surroundings of the place together with the previously cultured belief, the dusk and mystery, the mysterious sympathy of numbers, as Dean Farrar called it, the spasmodic snapping of the corps of tensity, which took away all traces of reserve or reticence from the men and women present, the vague terror of the unknown, that that mysterious apprehension, which is so potent with the nerves of weak or imaginative people, and, it may be, the slipping of the dogs of conscience, all these combined to wreck the moral and mental stability of those present, most of whom, it must be remembered, were actually ill, or imagined themselves to be so, which came practically to the same thing. The psychical emotion was all very well in the world of pleasure, but these creatures became physically sick through nervous strain. As described by the historian, they expectorated freely a viscous fluid, and their sickness passed into convulsions, more or less violent, the women naturally succumbing more readily and more quickly than the men. This absolute collapse, half epileptic, half hysterical, lasted varying periods according to the influence exercised by the presence of the calm, self-reliant operator. We of a later age, when electric force has been satisfactorily harnessed, and when magnetism as a separate power is better understood, may find it hard to understand that the most advanced and daring scientists of the time, to whom Frederick Antoine Mesmer was at least allied, were satisfied that magnetism and electricity were variants of the same mysterious force or power. It was on this theory that he seems to have worked his main idea to practical effect. The base of his system was animal magnetism, which could be superinduced or aided by mechanical appliances. He did not deceive himself into believing that he had invented the idea, but was quite willing to make the utmost use he could of the discoveries and inventions of others. So far as we can gather, his intentions from his acts, the main object of the scientific work, was to simplify the processes of turning emotion into effect. Magnetism had already been largely studied, and means were being constantly sought for increasing its efficacy. Father Hale had brought to a point of accepted perfection the manufacture of metal plates used in magnetic development, and these Mesmer used with the result that a violent controversy took place between them. So far as we can follow, after the lapse of time, Mesmer was consistent in his theories and their applications. He held that the principle was one of planetary influence on the nervous system, and its manifestation was by a process of alternate intention and remission. It is possible that Mesmer, who held that the heavenly bodies floated in a limitless magnetic fluid, that he could make all substances, even such things as bread or dogs magnetic, had in his mind the wisdom of following the same theory in matters of lesser significance, though of more individual import, than those of astronomy and its co-related sciences. 
If so, he was wise in his generation, for later electricians have found that the system of alternating currents, especially at high tension, is of vast practical importance. That he was practical in his use of the ideas of others is shown by the fact that he preferred the metallic plates of Father Hale to his own passes, even though the report of the Royal Commission ruined him, at any rate checked his success, by stating that similar effects to those attending his passes could be produced by other means, and that such passes had no effect unless through the patient's knowledge. In fact, that it was all the work of imagination. Mesmer had been asked to appear before the commission of the Faculty of Medicine appointed in 1784 to investigate and report, but he kept away. It would not have injured any man to have appeared before such a commission if his cause had been a good one. There were two such commissions. The first was the leading physicians of Paris, and included such men as Benjamin Franklin, Lavoisier, the great chemist, and Bally, the historian of astronomy. It was distinctly to his disadvantage that Mesmer always kept at a distance the whole corps of savants, such as the Faculty of Medicine and the Academy of Sciences, for they would no doubt have accepted his views, visionary though they were, if he could have shown any scientific base for them. True medical science has always been suspicious of, and cautious regarding, empiricism, more than once he stood in his own light in this matter, whether through obstinacy or doubt of his own theory does not matter. For instance, in Vienna, when his very existence as a scientist was at stake in the matter of the effects of his treatment at Mademoiselle Paradis, he introduced a humiliating clause in his challenge to the faculty, which caused them to refuse to accept it. Mademoiselle Paradis was blind and subject to convulsions. After treating her by his own method, Mesmer said she was cured, and oculists said, after testing, that she was as blind as ever, and her family said, that she was still subject to convulsions. But Mesmer persisted that she was cured, that there was a conspiracy against him, and that Mademoiselle Paradis had feigned. He challenged the faculty of medicine on the subject of his discovery. Twenty-four patients were to be selected by the faculty. Of these twelve were to be treated by mesmerism, and the other half by the means ordinarily in use. The condition he imposed was that the witnesses were not to be of the faculty. Again, when in answer to a request on his part, the French government, for the good of the community, should subsidize him, a proposal was made to him. He did not receive it favorably. The request he made to Marie Antoinette was that he should have an estate and chateau and a handsome income, so that he might go on experimenting with the broad figures at four hundred or five hundred thousand francs. The government's suggestion was that he should have a pension of twenty thousand francs and the cross of St. Michael knighthood, if he would communicate for public use to a board of physicians nominated by the king such discoveries as he might make. After his refusal of the government proposition, Mesmer went to Spa, taking with him a number of his patients, and there opened a magnetic establishment where he renewed his Paris success. He asked Parliament to hold an impartial examination into the theory and working of animal magnetism. Foiled in his scheme of state purchase on his own terms, he sold his secret to a group of societies, the members of which were to pay him a subscription of a hundred louis per capita. By this means he realized some 340,000 lira, representing to day over a million. The associated body was composed of 24 societies called Societies de la Harmonie, a sort of Freemasonry, 
under a grand master and chiefs of the order a member had to be at the time of admission twenty-five years of age an honest state and good name not to smoke tobacco and to pay an annual subscription of at least sixty francs there were three grades in the order initiated associates corresponding associates and uninitiated amongst those belonging to the society were such men as lafayette de permissionnel and bertelet the great chemist bertelet had however peculiar privileges amongst which was the right of criticism on one occasion he had a row with mesmer about his charlatanism at length the french public wearied with his trickeries and angry with his cupidity openly expressed their dissatisfaction whereupon he left france taking with him a fortune of three hundred and forty thousand francs he went to england and thence to germany finally he settled down in mersburg in his native country swabia where he died in eighteen fifteen at the age of eighty one end of mesmer by bram stoker recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida